Publisher Podcast, episode 37. Well, today we're talking about a friendly topic to many of us, and that is imposter syndrome. Why do we have it? What can we do about it? And um, some great ideas and discussion around this topic are what you're going to find in today's episode. We actually interviewed um, Angela Hosking for a special presentation for the members of our WIP school, and the discussion was just so great. I wanted to share it with everyone in the podcast community as well. So you may hear a couple things. There may be some questions or comments that you're like, what are they talking about? Um, if we were talking to a comment, address a comment in the chat or something like that. So editor tried to get as many of those things out. But if something's still there, I hope you'll forgive us. Um, the conversation itself was really great. And Angela has basically committed herself to helping women who are struggling with superwoman syndrome, with, um, with, with imposter syndrome, with fear, with all of these things, trying to help them learn ways that they can overcome those and move forward. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy this interview. Angela is a fabulous, fabulous woman and friend, and I always enjoy chatting with her. So enjoy the show. Welcome to the Publish Her Podcast, a place where you can come to get inspiration, motivation, help, encouragement, and support in your journey to write, publish, and sell your book. Hosted by Alexa Bigwarf. Cause I've been where you've been, and I felt what you're feeling, and I don't want to get in your Okay, so welcome to this very special um, um, guest speaker today. We have um, Angela Hosking, who is a dear friend of mine and former client, and she helps women um, be better with the things that plague us from being better sometimes. So today we are specifically talking about imposter syndrome. This is not something that's unique to writers, it, it, and it's something that a lot of women struggle with across the board. So um, I, I'm excited to have her here today. And um, and I would ask everyone if you could please mute yourselves so that we don't have any feed. It jumped and I muted myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let me tell you about Angela in case you didn't see her presentation in the conference. Angela Hosking, MBA, MSN is a women's empowerment and leadership speaker, author, workshop facilitator, coach, and the owner of Her One Tribe, LLC. Angela combines her 10 plus years of healthcare executive leadership experience with her expertise as a women's empowerment writer to deliver impactful workshops and motivational keynote speeches. And I can tell you that her workshops are truly impactful. I was so lucky to get to go to one in February, like two weeks. It felt a couple, it was probably a little bit longer than that, but it felt like we went to her workshop and then the whole world shut down for COVID. So I was so glad that I, I was able to attend that. Um, using her self-developed personal empowerment framework as her cornerstone content, Angela educates and inspires national and international female audiences to unlock their confidence barriers and diminish their imposter syndrome thinking. Angela is also the author of Woman on Top, Lead Like a Lady Boss, the creator of the Superwoman Detox Academy, and hosts an online community at Her One Tribe to help all women find the empowerment and balance their lives that they deserve. Thank you so very much for being with us today. 
I'm really excited to be here. This feels like coming home to me. As Alexa mentioned, she she is the woman that helped me to birth my first book. And um, we connected immediately. And um, I know that you all are learning so much from her. And I can't wait to have a great conversation with you today. So we will go through our, um, our interview and then we'll open it up for all the questions that you might have just to keep it a little more organized and not sidetrack us through this process um, so we can get the maximum benefit out of there. But first, I just want to start off with why imposter syndrome? Why is this something that you've decided to tackle as a subject? You know, it's funny how when you peel back the layers and you begin to learn something, how um, you, you understand that the problem is not really what you thought the problem was, but it's a different problem. And so when I went to, to write my book, Woman on Top, Lead Like a Lady Boss, I wanted to write it because when I became a woman leader and I had 100 direct reports and I was looking for a book, a, a tactical guide to how to really um, engage people, everything was written by men. And um, all of the advice was, was given in the way that men lead, not that there's anything wrong with that. I just knew that I brought a different skill, truth, I see in the comments, skill set to that. And um, so I wrote the book that I was looking for. And in my leadership travels, in my leadership experience, I have all women underneath me that are leaders and I'm in healthcare. So um, I started to notice um, that 90% of the employees and the leaders were women. And when you got to the higher levels um, above director, it was mostly men. And, and unpeeling and unpacking that um, and in coaching my leaders, a lot of it stemmed from lack of confidence. A lot of it stemmed from, now let's talk about the glass ceiling as a whole nother conversation. Um, but I'd, I'd like to challenge us to, to look at some of the things that we do ourselves that keep us from taking risks, from putting ourselves out there and so I began down this journey of exploring and understanding the female psyche, basically, and began to unpack what I now call the good girl paradox, which is something I recognize now I was deeply suffering from, um, as many of we women overachievers are. Mm -hmm. Well, it's really interesting because uh, I'd say a couple years ago, I saw an article about how, um, especially in certain genres, women were choosing to write under male names or initials because the stats still showed that men's books were selling at an enormous rate above above women's names i saw and someone just this last week i believe asked if we thought that they should um write under a male pen name for this very reason and and uh, you know it it's kind of heartbreaking that we even have to have that i mean that's a whole new level of the imposter syndrome like is anybody gonna read my fantasy book because i'm a woman not you know one of these men thankfully in the fantasy field in general there are some women really kicking butt right now so it's it's really nice that that's starting to shift but i mean there's so many things that just we just start with imposter syndrome from the very beginning in an author journey and i'd like to ask you like when you were writing your book especially knowing that most of these types of books out there are written by men how did did you have any of your own imposter syndrome with writing this Oh, absolutely. I remember sending each chapter to my editor one at a time because I couldn't bear to send the entire manuscript to her. Like I, I literally had to just sort of slide it out into the world. Um, but but let's, let's take a minute. I'd like to unpack a little bit about what imposter syndrome is and what it's not, because I think there are some um, descriptions around it that are a little confusing. And um, it's, it's definitely 
in the media right now, and it's definitely a topic that's very hot. In fact, the KPMG Women's Leadership Study for 2020 just came out. Now, this is a women's leadership study with 750 women that are uh, one to two steps away from the C-suite. So they are, they are high-level VPs, SVPs. 75% of them feel like an imposter. Wow. So you're talking about incredibly accomplished, confident women who still do not feel enough then. So, so when we talk about imposter syndrome, and I want, I'm going to quote the actual definition because it's not mine. It's uh, the, the uh, body of work that was done um, is by Rose Clance. So you can, you can look her up. But the definition um, is persistent feelings of self-doubt, incompetence, and inadequacy despite the evidence otherwise. And that is where oftentimes overachieving women are constantly looking for external validation and more letters behind their name. I'm a perfect example. Did you, did you all catch what she said? I have two master's degrees, two bachelor's degrees, two national certifications, and somewhere along the line that still wasn't enough for me, right? I still had to, I still had to make sure. And um, so for many of us, this sort of uh, need um, for external validation started at a very early age. We were born a girl into the societal construct of welcome, it's a little girl. And automatically our parents and our society had ideas about who we are and our skill set and how we should be. And so many of those things are, you should be a rule follower, a good little girl sits at the front of the class and she gets straight A's and she doesn't question the rules and she performs. And when she performs, she gets applause and praise and she seeks authority or hierarchy to tell her that she's good enough. And so as this perpetuates and we hit into that adolescent stage where we get gawky and awkward and uncomfortable and we're suddenly told, don't show too much of ourselves. We might disrupt the boys. Um, you know, don't be bossy. Don't be the other B word. And so we begin to shrink ourselves into this mold of fitting into the good girl. And where imposter syndrome kicks in is those of us that are ambitious and we're eager and we really want to achieve big things feel really either kind of awkward or just weird about it. And so we try to kind of silence ourselves down and we look for that external validation and we never know if we're good enough unless somebody else tells us. That it's, it's, it's crazy. And I'm shaking my head here. Cause I just went to a conference this weekend. Um, and, um, it was the first time that I'd been around other men in a long time. It was a mixed group, mostly men and a few women. And actually it was one of the most interesting conferences I've ever been to and led by a true leader who, who really did a lot of things to make us all feel comfortable. And one of the interesting things was that it wasn't just a male female dynamic on, on Ingram, on Ingram, on imposter syndrome. It, there was also like levels of business achievers in there. So then you have that too. And I see this in the author community too. Like, do I have the right to do this or do that, or ask this person to do this because I'm, I've just written one book or I'm still in the process of writing my book. So it's, I think it's interesting how it shows up in so many different areas as we're taking um, different steps forward. Do I even have the right to publish a book on publishing? Isn't that crazy that I would ask that question? Like, am I good enough <laughs> Am I good enough to do these things? But I was having a conversation with another one of the ladies there. And she said, you know, speaking of the good girl syndrome, from the time we were really small, people tended to tell us, you're too loud. 
you talk too much, you are too whatever, you know, and how that's contributed to this overall feeling of not being able to show up the way we should show up because I'm too loud or I have a weird laugh or I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not smart enough, um, you know, whatever those things are. So um, help, what do we do when these things come up? <laughs> well, well, really, really where the biggest gap is, is where, where, where we miss the boat in this. And there's um, a, a wonderful study out there called the fire pole study where uh, researchers um, watched the parents of preschool, little boys and little girls on the playground, three and four year olds. And they put this big, large pole in the middle of the ground and it, it's a fire pole. And they listened to the way that parents of little boys and little girls taught them how to approach it. And these uh, studies showed that overwhelmingly for little girls, it was be careful, you might get hurt, let me help you, that might be too big for you. And the little boys were taught, go get it, tiger, you got it, you can do it, no problem. And so from a very early age, we were, we were taught to externally look for what we could do and what we couldn't do, okay? We were told what we could do or couldn't do. And um, if you never develop an internal validator, you're just doing it for yourself and you feel good because you're doing it for yourself, you will be chasing other people's opinions for your entire life, no matter what level of achievement that you receive because you've never learned to listen to your own internal validator. So what we have to do is unpack those layers of understanding how did we grow up and learn to, to what was success and what our definition of success is and who we listen to and um, then how to marry that with the other cultural elephant in the room is that we're supposed to be kind, loving, caretaking, selfless, 100%. If you do anything for self, you're selfish. Um, and so, so there's that battle of, I have all these desires and wants and needs and goals and things and wonderful things I want to do, but I feel so guilty because it might be taking away from somebody else's limelight, or is it my turn? You know, do I have enough experience in this industry to be writing a book on publishing? Who do I think I am? And all of those voices sort of come and crop and, and pop up. And that's where you really get the imposter syndrome. And, you know, a good example, if you're still not sure, okay, so I'm, I've, I've got 22 years of nursing experience. I've been a leader for over 15 years. I've given keynotes for thousands of people. And if I'm standing in front of a group of OR nurses talking about leadership, I'm not an imposter. But if I'm walking into the operating room trying to do surgery, I am. I have no idea what I'm doing. So you have to look at the skill set and the, the knowledge and the expertise that you have and ask yourself, okay, if I didn't know myself, would I want to listen to this person? Would I believe that this person had knowledge that I'm seeking? And the answer to that is usually yes. I think you're- Sorry, my screen's too big <laughs> and I couldn't reach the mute button there. Um, you know, I, I, I love actually that way of reframing it because yes, if I'm going to go stand in front of, um, I don't know, the CEOs of, uh, Simon and Schuster and <laughs> some of those others, then maybe I'm not the person to be talking about publishing. But if I'm standing in front of a group that are, that are, you know, like this, like in, in our sphere, then, then yes, I love, or, or even like uh, a better example of that's not even a great example. Cause I probably have something to teach those people too. <laughs> you do, right? you do. And that was good. The imposter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just because you don't have the exact same experience doesn't mean you don't have lived experience 
in the genre and in what you've been doing that you can open their eyes. Right. Just the fact that you mentioned a lot of the problem with not enough women authors is that uh, publishing houses have have gender bias. They they don't even realize that they do. They don't think the books are going to sell. You know, look at the woman that just did the app. Oh my gosh. What was it? The dating app, the dating app where they said no one is going to, to invest in a dating app where the women are in control of the the thing. And I'd have to look it up, but um, she's like astronomically kicking it out of the park right now. That's awesome. So, So there's that piece of it. And then there's a piece of it where I don't feel, I don't feel as if I have enough to say. And you asked me, did I have imposter syndrome? Of course, I still have imposter syndrome. Every time you reach a new level or you get into a new room or you're around people that are, are excite you and because they're, you know, more experience, more knowledge, you know, yeah, you probably are more of a novice, but that doesn't mean you're an imposter. It just yeah. means that you're, you've got something to give and you've got something um, to receive as well. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, so just thinking about from the very, like, do you have any exercises or things that you help people walk through to try and move through this? Yeah, I, I and so you mentioned my framework and, and it's funny that you mentioned that because that was the last big imposter syndrome moment that I had. I had managed, um, Alexa knows I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little wild and crazy sometimes and I, <laughs> I, I do big things. And so I had reached out to author Dory Clark, um, best-selling author Dory Clark, who did not know me from anybody. And I totally geeked out on her. I just loved her work. And um, I made a reference in my book to one of the exercises that she teaches about doing the virtual or the, the, um, the quick 360 degree evaluation. And so when my book was written, um, I reached out to her via LinkedIn, email, you know, all the stalkery ways and said, would you consider reading my book? Would you consider you know, um, um, what's the word, Alexa? Um, reviewing, endorsing, yeah. endorsing, <laughs> giving, me, yes. giving me a testimonial. <laughs> I mean, there goes the 54 year old brain. Um, and so, um, I guess she finally, I guess her, her administrative assistant got tired of like, you know, telling me no. And, um, she reached out and said, Hey, I actually, I read it and it's really good. And I'm happy to do that. And Oh, by the way, would you like to join us? I'm having a mastermind in August. There'll be 10 people there. I think you can bring a lot to the conversation. And I'm like, what? Sweating, like what, what, what? And so I did it, I went. And so I get in this room and I'm in there with y'all, like a seven figure business owner, a a Google CEO, a TEDx talker. I mean, just all of these people and we're all going around the room sharing our biography and they get to me and I'm, you know, little old me and I'm sharing my little biography. But the funny thing was she ran us through an exercise on a framework and guess was who was the only person in that room who had developed a framework? Me. (laughs) And so I got to go up to the whiteboard and show everybody um, what it is. And basically all a framework is, is how do you do the work that you do and how did you unpack the levels that you have to go through to get through the transformational process? And so in my framework, we always start first with understanding um, how we got here, mm-hmm. right? And, and unpacking that self-identity and, and um, understanding where, where sort of we're at. And, and then when we do that assessment and we sort of do, we walk all the way through it, then we, we get up to the, um, the thinking differently. So then we start to talk about, well, now I understand I have a problem. I can see the problem. How do I begin to, to alter the way that I think? And the last but not least is, is acting differently. <laughs> so putting into practice tactical ways of behavior, even if our brain hasn't caught up yet, um, to do those things. And so for imposter syndrome, the first thing I do, um, and this is just a quick exercise that you can do is when you're having those thoughts, 
brain dump them all down, write them all down. Every thought about I'm not enough. I, I shouldn't be this. I shouldn't write this book. I shouldn't da, 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 da. And then sit down and look at what is factual because mostly what you've written down is beliefs. It is supposing that things are going to go a certain way. It is imagining the universe seeing you a certain way. It's other people's imagined voices or opinions. And, and when you really get down to, to the facts. So for me, I had experience in leadership five years. I took a team from being like the toxic Lord of the flies to a very high functioning, no turnover team. So I had the experience. Uh, I cut my teeth on it. I was a woman. I was a leader. And I had always wanted to write. My first degree was in English. I wrote all the time when I was a kid. I, that was what I wanted to be. So why not me? You know. And I think I got to the point where I was so mad because there wasn't enough voices out there. I thought, well, the least I can do is represent. You know. Hmm. And um, and I knew enough that I knew I knew how to write. I knew I could storytell. But I invested in Alexa, and I invested in a great editor who really helped me understand how to make the whole book flow. Um, which was a new thing for me. I had never, I'd never written a book before. So I think knowing where you're a novice and where your strengths are um, and tapping into that piece and then, and then reaching out and getting a peer or, you know, an industry expert who has experience, more experience than you. I tell people, you just need 10 more, 10% more experience than the person you're helping because you're two steps ahead. Um, then that's how you begin to sort of take those baby steps and do it. Yeah. And, you know, for to, to swing it around for everybody who's writing books, I mean, I know there, there are, um, I, I'd be curious to hear from y'all in the chat, like how many of you suffer, suffer is a strong word, but how many of you do have these fears of putting yourself out there because of some of the things that we've been talking about, or how many of you are very confident moving forward as an author, um, so that we can kind of see what's happening here and in this space. But I, I would say for a lot of people, you know, you you went for the big guns, you went straight to the top. And that's awesome when you reached out to Dory. Some people are are scared to do that, um, just scared to go that high. So one of the things that I have liked to do in my own business, you know, especially getting ready for the summit and to think into um, uh, places where I've wanted to invite some really big names, like I start with some small wins first. So I started with some easy yeses. I knew, you know, certain people would say yes. And then I went up a, a little bit higher than that. So when you're thinking about endorsements or author blurbs or something like that, for me, I, I know that that's a, that's a way to, to, to do it. Author blurbs and endorsements can be a huge thing for you, especially if they turn around and do like what Dory did for Angela, have her on her podcast, invite her to other influential things. And you didn't even begin to share half of the things that, that came to you after, I mean, you've had so many amazing successes with your book and well, it's all because you, 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 you asked. <laughs> Well, and, and that's, that's a, so, so I, I, one of the things I talk about in my keynotes is something that sort of blew up my brain in the middle of 2018. And I realized that I was having giant leaps in my business whenever I took a giant leap of an ask. And the problem was I was waiting to feel confident enough to do that. And, um, you know, I started thinking about these as, as insanely brave moments and, and what if like going to the gym, you know, when you go to the gym once a year or once a month, you, you don't make progress, right? And confidence is a muscle. 100%, you cannot think your way into being more confident. You have to act your way. And when you do the action and you realize you didn't die and maybe something positive came out of that, you have more confidence to do it something a little bigger. So I 
created this idea of these insanely brave moments. And I started scheduling them on my calendar every single day. So every day I have a 30 minute appointment with myself and it's something that's in alignment with a goal that I have. And not everything is as big as reaching out. Like I reached out um, to Dory Clark. I reached out to Tiffany. Oh gosh. The author of drop the ball. I can't remember what her last name is. Um, either. Um, but she very kindly replied and said, I can't do that, but I'm super excited for you and you know, go. Right. So she said, no, um, I, I, uh, Julie ball from sparkle hustle mm -hmm. girl did not know me from Adam and, um, boy, she read my book with a fine tooth comb before she put her name on it. And that was fine. I was like, you know, any feedback is great. Um, she, she said, yeah. So I had some, oh, and, um, um, the, the woman that does the killing it podcast, um, that I had sort of on LinkedIn sort of created this, I, I just, I just reach out Well, people, when I like what people are doing, I always comment, always try to highlight them. I always share their work. Like I'm, I'm a, I'm a super fan, but I'm not a creepy fan. I'm like trying to elevate them. Um, and so, so what I found in these experiments was about 80% of the time, y'all people said, yes, about 80% of the time. So, so if you wait and you, and you, until you feel better or you, or you, you don't even dip your toe into the water, it's years of, of waiting versus I, I think in six months, I blew up my business. My book ended up in, in the subscription box with a thousand people. I've sold 2,500 books. I was going to tell you that, Alexa. I know most authors don't sell more than a couple hundred. It's been right. two years. It'll be two years tomorrow that I launched the book. That's amazing. And, um, and it's, and, and I'm learning, you know, every single thing that I try, I, it's like an experiment. I learned, well, this worked, well, this worked, well, this worked, well, that didn't work. You know, let's try this. So it's constant marketing. Yeah. You know, just as an example, y'all have no idea how scared I was to send the email to Jane Friedman asking her to be a guest on the women in publishing summit this comp this year. I was like, you know, I mean, she was so gracious, so gracious. I mean, I'm sure she gets asked by every writer in the industry who's doing anything podcasts, you know, and, and she said, yes, because she's a generous person like that. But, you know, that was a terrifying moment. And I, I was scared to ask her as well. So sometimes you just, you know, <laughs> it's a funny story. Um, I got a lot of confidence by doing MLMs because there was no personal attachment to them other than it's hard for people to say no, but I used to sell, I used to sell Pamper Jeff. And I tell you what, if you need a confidence booster, being in a direct sales company can, can either destroy your confidence or at least help you learn um, how to say, how to, how to be like, okay, that person said no next, you know, move on, move on, move on. But um, it is, it's, it's important to make the ask because I want to tell y'all another funny story here. I was just on a um, summit, somebody interviewed me for a summit because she'd found our Lose the Cape books. And for, for those of y'all who don't know, my second book after Sunshine After the Storm was this book that I co-wrote with another blogger for, mom, for moms called Lose the Cape Realities from Busy Modern Moms and Strategies to Survive. It is a great book for moms with lots of guidance and, and tips and tricks. And we interviewed so many other moms. I did not market it. I did not tell anybody about it except for like our inner circle. And of course, the people who were interviewed in the book, we didn't do a bunch of posts. I didn't run any ads. I didn't ask for endorsements. I didn't do anything because I was so scared of failure. And now I'm like, Oh, that's one of the biggest regrets of my life that we didn't try to do something. But I heard the words in my head, Angela, 
if if I fail at this, at least it's because if nobody buys the book, it's because I didn't market it to anyone, mm. you know, <laughs> because I felt terrified. It was in the big boom. The, the imposter part of it was it was in the big boom of books by bloggers that were coming out in that 2013, yeah. 2014 era, era. You got Jen Mann who, um, who did the elf on the shelf, like rant that went, you know, people I want to punch in the throat. And there were all these huge books by blog, the blog S was putting stuff. Like if you're not a blogger, you're probably like, who in the heck are these people? But um, it was very, very intimidating. And I'm like, who am I with my little blog that 10 people read every day to, <laughs> you know, to go out and publish a book. So we've all been there. We've all been there. Do you mind if I spot coach a couple of the comments? I'm go sure. for it. <laughs> Do it. So I want to know who, is it Juanetta? Winetta. Okay. Yes. She says, I still wonder if not having a writing MFA will prevent me from being taken seriously as a writer, despite having been told I write well. So number one, absolutely. No, you do not need a master's of fine arts to write a book. There are a million and one writers out there that do not have a master in fine. That is, that is so imposter syndrome. That is so good girl. Like what other, what other degree do I need to prove to myself that I'm good enough? Um, and, 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 and so what I can tell you, if your book can touch, oh, this is what I think to myself and my book can touch one person mm -hmm. and be impactful and give value. And they're so grateful that I wrote the book, then I've succeeded. So it's not about numbers. It's about impact. And I got uh, the most random email from someone that I have never still didn't never met this person. I put a chapter in my book about mean girls at work because I had had a boss that nearly completely killed me. I mean, I have never had my confidence stomped. I'd never had that kind of situation in my professional life. I really didn't believe it existed until it did. And I vulnerable vulnerability hangover put that chapter in there. I changed some of the stories so you know to protect the guilty. She wrote me and said, you have no idea what it meant for me to read somebody else's experience and validate what I thought was driving me. Like I thought I was going to the loony bin by this narcissistic, crazy, toxic boss that I had. And so for me, don't matter anything else about the book that, that to me is I wrote the book for that person to read it. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, I think if we kind of let that headspace leave us and come from a place of, of giving value and helping other people, the karma comes back. It really, truly, it, it just does. The things open up for you. And if, you're, and if your first book didn't do what you wanted it to do, well, what did you learn? So what are you gonna do on your next one? It doesn't mean you're a bad author. It just means you have room to learn. And most likely it's just cause you just didn't have a big enough platform cause yeah. we're spitting into the yeah. wind in the universe, yeah. you know? Yeah. That, amen, I'm so glad that you said that. Is It is such a numbers game when it comes to book sales. Um, success through book sales. But, and then you have Tatiana over here who has two MFAs and certificates in writing. <laughs> she still doesn't feel worthy. So no, getting your MFA is not going to solve the problem yeah. for you. It's just not that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These are my people. I can tell. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and that is, yes, Mandy, revamp and relaunch. That is one of the glories of indie publishing is that there's no rules. Like, I mean, there are some best practices, but nobody said you can't launch your book and relaunch it and relaunch it and relaunch it again and get a bigger audience and relaunch it again and all those fun things. Who else? Who else has questions for Angela on this topic? 
I do need to um, I do need to tell you all something very quickly here that I'll have edited out of here. And that is that we are planning on using this as a podcast episode as well. So I want you to feel open to discussing whatever you want to discuss. So if there's something that you want to talk about and don't want it on the recording, just put down here, um, want to talk to Angela, don't want it on the recording, and we'll end the recording and then get to everybody else's questions after that point in time. So, cause I, I want you to be able to, to, to talk openly. So, okay. Um, yeah, you got that. Marilyn, one? Marilyn's got a good question. So she said, please state what an imposter is and what an imposter is not. So as it relates to writing, um, when you write words, you are a writer. When you publish a book, you are an author. You, there are varying degrees of, of skill and ability and self-growth. And I just, I get better every time I write. I, I, I read my book now and I'm like, oh, I could, I could write it so much better now. But it's an evolution of skill. So, so don't get hung up in the words of being qualified to do something. If you're doing it, you're doing it. Um, I think, um, you know, the labels that goes back to that whole discussion that we had a little bit about the external validation. So if you're looking for a label to say that you are something, you're never going to feel enough. You have to, you have to own in, in your own. I've never been more proud than writing those 55,000 words. Like, and it was like laborious for me because I, 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 and I also heard this and this was a good thing. So just write it, write, 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 then go back and edit. I was trying to write, 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 edit, 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 edit. and it, it messes with your mind because it's not perfect, right? And we perfectionists tend to just sort of like, we never go any farther. You can't edit a blank page. Good point, good point, good point. Um, and so that was a really good question. How do you reread your work and not tear yourself apart? Um, I try to put myself in the, the, the role of the reader and experiencing the book as the reader and then I just, I also get feedback. I mean, I ask, I mean, I ask people that I know are, are, are avid readers. And to be quite honest with you, the funniest, the funniest feedback that I got that is most valuable to me is my husband read the book <laughs> and y'all it's all about lady boss. Right. And it's also bringing in the science about how women are different. So I, I like to pull in the, the tips and the tricks and all that. And my husband, um, he said to me, he got to like the fourth chapter and he's like, this is a book men should read too. <laughs> That's great feedback. And I said, what does that mean? And he goes, it's leadership advice. He's like, it's all translatable. Like what you're doing here is all translatable. You don't have to be a woman to read this. And he goes, but I, I can see how you're coming from the perspective of, you know, a woman leader. And I said, well, it's the same thing about men's leadership books. I said, but the problem is, is, is it's just one-sided view, right? It's like, we need multiple views. We need multiple books from all different types of lived experiences, not just men and women, but all diverse views because we all live a different experience and have something to bring to the table. So, um, so yeah, bamboozled. Um, you know, I want to go back to Rainey's comment that was way, way back in the beginning, but I saw it and it, it, um, it stung because she said she's writing a book about military history and war events and maybe she should have used her initials. And I want to tell you, you better, you better publish it as a woman as a six and a half year veteran of the Air Force. I want to see more women writing books about military stuff. So and that, that <laughs> is it. precisely the problem is, and that is a lot of why imposter syndrome, we go back to that KPMG leadership study, 
those women, those 750 women that are in the almost to the C-suite, why do they feel like an imposter? They don't see anybody else that looks like them at the table. So yes. then they start going back and they go, oh, well, maybe they made a mistake. Maybe I shouldn't be here either. And so the more that we put a woman's face and a name and an experience and a voice out there, the less unlikely it is that we won't see somebody else like us. Mm hmm. Oh my goodness. Now the questions are coming in. <laughs> uh, her book is Woman on Top, Lead Like a Lady Boss, Angela Hosking. Um, it's a leadership book. Obviously, Lead Like a Lady Boss. Can I, can I make a funny comment? And you can edit this out of the podcast if it's not PG. Oh, you know, go for it. You know, I had a, a man, very well, not well known, but a, a, a high level man executive where I work, asked me if I knew that the title of my book was a sexual position. And I what said, did you say? And I said, yeah, I said 100%. And that's exactly why I named it like that. Because I've done the research that nonfiction books do better when their title is a little cheeky. And uh -huh. it's, a little, it's a little, it's a little thought provoking. But he was trying to mansplain to me that of a woman's <laughs> sexual position. That is hilarious. The fact, the fact that he would even ask that question is exactly why your book is needed. I think, he I think he was worried that I didn't know and I should be ashamed or worried that I, you know. That's funny. That's funny. Okay. So Tatiana said, I, um, how do you differentiate between the self-doubt from feeling that your work is not good enough and the social stereotypes that affect the sales of the book? So women fantasy and sci-fi writers, regardless of theme, get places and get placed in young adult genre. Huh. That's interesting. So let me just, let me just clarify this question really quickly. Tatiana, are you saying that because they're written by women, even if it's a fantasy and sci-fi right now, they're getting categorized in YA because that's more of a women appropriate. You can unmute yourself if you want to explain that further. Okay, that might be a little bit easier. I was about to get inspired writing. Yeah, no, <laughs> you get, I mean, even with me, like I write, I have one book that could be for a little younger audience, mm -hmm. but everything else is very adult and it's consistently assume that I write for a much younger audience. You know, um, the most obvious is like a, one lady was like, oh, I can't wait until my grandson gets older so that um, I can read my your book with, with him. And I was like, you know, one of the main themes is women's sexuality. I mean, if you're comfortable reading this aloud to your grandson, go ahead. I wouldn't, you know. But, but you see it even in different forums of if it's women, science fiction, fantasy, written by women, science fiction, fantasy, it immediately gets placed into young adult. So how do you do with, with that? that? You know, those type of stereotypes, I guess. Is my... So we have two, two, two ceilings. I like to think about the ceiling we can control and the ceiling that we can all work together to bust through, okay? And I would start with the ceiling you can control, which is your self-confidence and your willingness to put your voice out there and to get your books out into the, to the universe. Other people's misperceptions about you or your work is their problem. Um, and, and I think, you know, being bold in your, in your messaging about who it's for. Um, and I think also um, challenging that because, you know, is that a, is that a, um, is that a pre, is it presupposed because, because you're a woman? That's, you know, that's a bias, that's a gender bias. So challenging that back. But I think, um, I think 
oftentimes we kind of feel defeated and like, oh, it, the ceiling is so big and how am I going to break it? And I can't break it. And then I just say, you know what? Here's how you start. You work on yourself. You work on yourself. You get a little bit bolder, a little more confident, and then you pull another woman up with you. And, and that's the other thing you, you mentioned, Alexa, that you said that that woman that was so gracious to come, she's a woman that gets it. She gets it because she got a seat at the bigger table and now she needs to pull Alexa up to that table. And then Alexa needs to pull up somebody else. And that's how we break the glass ceiling. So yeah. whatever you know table that I can get to, whatever platform I can get to, you darn well better be sure that women that are just starting on this journey, I'm pulling them up with me and say, I'll get on a Zoom call with you. I'll teach you what I know. We'll talk about it for mm -hmm. free because, and I get paid too. I do want to clarify that, but um, there is some benevolence karma in, in growing all women. We all win. Yeah. I think that's a very good point. I like that though. That's if somebody else has a problem with it, that's their problem. And uh, the other thing I would say is um, Tatiana to that is just make sure it's clear in your book description <laughs> as well. That way when people are reading it, you don't have to, If even if it's getting, if Amazon is oddly classifying it in young adult, if it's clear from your book description that it's not so young adult, hopefully that will help. Um, did we miss any? Huh. A professional colleague did a great job marketing her book, pre-release party, whole nine yards. I pre-ordered when I got the book, it was 15 pages. Is that a book or a pamphlet? Um, I would classify that as a pamphlet, but wow. <laughs> you know, whatever. If it if it did, if it got across the point she needed to make in it, were they the best 15 pages ever? That's a hey, they sell cliff notes. They do sell cliff notes. That's right. Okay. Let's see, Angela, what was your comment about nonfiction titles kind of cheeky do better? Oh, um, so it was a long time ago that I did the research, but it, it, it said it said it to get noticed on the shelf, to get noticed, you know, back in the day when we went to the bookstore, right? <laughs> we don't do that anymore, um, that it helps to have sort of a, um, a title that's, that's, that causes you to think, right? Like if immediately woman on top, like probably the first thing subconsciously is like, whoa, wait, woman on, what, what, what is this? Um, and then you see the big chair. And that was the thing Michelle did so beautifully for me when we were creating the visual. Um, it's behind me. If you, mm -hmm. over there. Um, I want to give her credit. Michelle Fairbanks nailed it on the first oh, try. Amazing. Um, and I said, she goes, what do you want to, what do you want to evoke emotionally? And I said, I want... I'm pulling up my chair to the table and it doesn't have to match all the other chairs. In fact, it could be gaudily pink because I, I happen to like it. I'm wearing my pink blouse today. Um, and that's okay because I deserve a seat and I deserve a big seat at the table. And she nailed it with that. So, so um, I'll have to go back and, and find, but you know, I, I'm the student of life. Like when I do something, I do it full court press. So I'm reading everything there is to, to know about it. Um, and I have gotten the feedback from a lot of women that they love the title because it is a little cheeky. I love it too. It's fun. It's always also very fun to say, <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for, for sharing with us today. And thank you so much, Angela, for being thank here. You. you don't have to give me your heart. You don't have to give it away. You don't gotta love 
thank you for joining us on the Publisher Podcast. We hope to see you back for the next episode. Great, huge thanks goes to Jasmine Commerce for the use of her song. You can find Jasmine on SoundCloud. Go check out all of her music. We'll see you next time. Oh, no, no, no.